0: One of my big goals with Tiny Leaps with this podcast is to make personal development more practical. There's this gap between what we know we want, what we know we should do in order to get it, and our ability to actually do it. That's why I created The Lab. The Lab is a monthly mastermind and community focused on bridging the gap between what we want, what we know we should do to get it, and our willingness to actually do it. We do this through live masterclasses with experts on various topics like weight loss, personal finance, relationships, goal setting, behavior modification, so on and so forth. All the things we talk about on this show, I bring in the actual experts on them to share what we need to know. So if you want to learn more, if you're interested, if you think, you know what, I could use some help moving forward on my big goals and actually doing the stuff I know I should be doing, head over to www. Dot tinyleapslab.com, where you'll see the full range of perks for being a member. That's www.tinyleapslab.com Tinyleapslab.com. In this episode, I sit down with the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine to talk about careers and his new book, Mr. Nice Guy. Get excited because this is Tiny Leaps big change. Big Welcome to another episode of Tiny Leaps. Big changes where I share simple strategies you can use to get more Out of your life. My name is Greg Clunas. and in this episode, I have a uh, a really interesting individual with me. I uh, Jason is one of those people that you meet at an event, and it's very clear that you either need to do one of two things: you either need to go up and say thank you for the the content that he just delivered if he was speaking, or you need to find some way to bring him into your circle and be around him. He is. Full of this energetic curiosity that I assume only comes from being a journalist and sort of having to be curious for his job. And that curiosity has taken him from uh, what many would consider a traditional career to a very coveted role as the editor-in-chief at Entrepreneur Magazine, as well as a ton of other things that he's doing in in his career. He's written a new book called Mr. Nice Guy with his wife that we're going to talk about in depth on this show. And uh, we're definitely going to dive into something I, I agree with wholeheartedly, but want to hear him break down, which is this concept of sort of always preparing for your next role and always looking ahead to figure out, well, what are the skill sets that I could learn now that will either potentially lead to a promotion or the next job or starting the business or whatever your end goal might be in 3 5 15 years but in the now is just fascinating for you to pursue and is something you're curious about so Without much more said, Jason, thank you so much for taking some time to be here.
1: Oh, hey, thanks for having me, and thanks for the generous, uh, the generous introduction there. And also, by the way, I have to say that I love the two options that you have for what to do when I'm at an event and you come up to me because, of course, most people take the unspoken option three, which is just to pitch me their business because they want press. So <laughs> I appreciate,
0: <laughs> I appreciate, I appreciate yeah. your two. Well, if you are uh, if you, if you know how to approach press. Option three is not really an option. That's right. Uh, as, you, as you broke down in the talk that I saw you at. Uh, so Jason, I want to start with what I personally find to be the most interesting question, something that I'm very curious to see how you answer. Sure. Uh, would you say that your role at Entrepreneur Magazine is a coveted position?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I would, sure. I, you know, but I have to say that the way that entrepreneurs think of it And the way that I originally thought of it was quite different. I and I think this is true for anybody who gets into any kind of interesting role where, um, you know, you start to you start to discover that the reality of it is quite different from whatever it is that you imagined it to be. And in fact, uh, what's really so wonderful about that and what's wonderful about putting yourself into new and interesting situations and kind of striving to reach these. Places that you are only looking at from outside for a while is that it completely changes your understanding of yourself and your own abilities and also the opportunities available to you. So that's very abstract. Let me answer the question. Um, <laughs> I saw m- my goal for quite a long time, or one of my goals, was to be editor in chief of a magazine, not entrepreneur magazine, just a magazine, because I spent, I'd spent my career largely in magazines and I wanted to reach the top of that. I wanted to have command over one and see what I was made of and execute a vision and all that stuff. And also, frankly, uh, you know, it, media is a difficult industry. And I was looking around and saying, okay, well, how do I survive in this? And to, to survive is really to, to get to the very top. Cause that's where the money is and where there's more stability, at least for a while. And so that was what had originally, to be perfectly honest with you, had interested me in the job. And then I got the job and, um, I discovered that it means something different to people who are not in journalism, like in journalism, editor in chief is like, Oh, you run a magazine to entrepreneurs. It means that I'm a thought leader of entrepreneurs, that I am speaking for them and I am, I am of the community and I am a leader in the community. And I, I, to be perfectly honest with you, was completely unprepared for that. I didn't see that coming. I didn't really know how to react or act for that. And that, that was a real learning experience. Uh, Understanding how to run a magazine came pretty naturally to me. Understanding how to be a leader in a community was, was, it was a struggle at first.
0: That makes perfect sense. Um, and I can definitely confirm, speaking from the entrepreneur side, uh, Entrepreneur Magazine is, is one of the largest publications in the world for our community. So, uh, from the outside looking in, I can completely see why someone would elevate you to the status of thought leader. It's curious to me, though. That both at the event that I originally met you at and and here you sort of teased at it, uh, this idea of not being prepared for it and uh, maybe having to take a little bit of a transition to, to embrace that role. Mm-hmm. Could you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So I, I you know, I was just having lunch literally yesterday with the CEO of a very large company. And I I didn't ask him permission to share this tale, so I I will sort of leave it vague. But the guy oversees billions in revenue. Really, really, really big, really big guy. And we were talking about our early days in our respective positions. And I had told him that coming from a creative background, as as I have, I've always just been a writer or an editor, that becoming a manager and, and an executive, so to speak at this job, I, I feel like I'm just making things up as I go. <laughs> just, okay. And, um, and, and, uh, you know, and I, I was never prepared for it. Nobody taught me how to do it. I'm totally making it up as I go. And he said, everyone is, that's what he said. Everyone is. That was his response to that. Everyone is, which of course means him too. And again, a guy who oversees billions of dollars in revenue at, at a very, very well-known company. And that is a, that's just so powerful. Like it's so powerful to hear that from others because it validates your own experience, right? Like if this person, if this CEO feels that way, then it's fine for me to feel that way too. And I, I, I feel very fortunate that in my role, I'm talking to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs are by nature very open people. And so they are willing to admit that kind of stuff in a way that I think some other people aren't. And so we have lots of conversations like that. And I think it's really valuable to have those conversations because you, you need to know that you're not alone. Like I think the craziest thing in entrepreneurship and, and, and outside entrepreneurship too in life is that people often go through things feeling like they are alone in them, but in fact, everybody feels them. And somehow we just aren't talking about them enough so that we all feel like we're isolated in this thing that we're all actually sharing. So yeah, I, um, I, I definitely, uh, I, I definitely had to embrace, I had to embrace that I wasn't really good at something to start. And I, and I, I, I've gotten better at that as I go, like being very conscious of, okay, I am not good at this, but I, but I know, and this is the, like, this is the important part of this. I know that I can become good at this. Like if I just give myself the time and to, to be good at this and also to put myself into the position where I do it enough and don't like, you know, don't completely screw it up so that I'm like out of a job, but do it, um, do it well enough that I learn and can continue to grow, uh, that I will eventually become good at it. And that, that was, that was what the transition was for, from this. Uh, I was, I came in, I was a magazine editor. I knew how to hire writers and think about, a, a flow and pacing of a magazine, and and uh, then I had to, um, and then I had to stand in front of entrepreneurs, uh, hundreds at a time, and speak to them, and get over the absolute fear that there was really no reason for these people to listen to me. Like, what the hell do I have to say to all of these people? You know, and uh, and that was that was really terrifying, and took a it took a long time to get my head around how to do that confidently and also, frankly, how to bring value to people so that I, so that I, I wasn't, I didn't feel like a fraud. I felt like I had figured out what they're looking for and what I have to offer and, and how the two can match.
0: That makes a ton of sense. I want to dry, dive a little bit deeper into this concept of sort of not being ready and, and uh, everyone around us making it up, even if it doesn't seem like they are. Um, and, and to start there, I'd, I'd love to hear from you what in your mind? is is sort of the the or rather are the qualities in yourself in your career so far that in the people who put you in this position qualified you to be there
1: hmm huh. what qualified <laughs> so what qualified me to be there is a, it's a really good question um, I mean in a way I like I see it as a mix of two things I see everything as a mix of these two things. Uh, one is um one is a- actual knowledge like actual experience you know and and the other is um is ability to learn f- quickly and um, and to adjust it, you, because there's just there's no way that you will be literally prepared, right like that you know everything for any new thing that you do it's not it's not possible or, or the new thing that you're doing is not actually a step up. It's a lateral move. And then I guess you are prepared, but then I don't think that you're, you're not, you don't have momentum. Like you're not moving upwards. You're, you're moving laterally. So if you are going to take on some new higher role in anything, you are not going to be fully prepared for it, but you have a, you have, you have to have an important combination. And I think that you have to have the situational awareness to appreciate the, that combination and, and, and which, which experience which which thing in front of you falls into which category right the categories being things you know and the ability to know that you don't know it and to learn fast and adapt um and so i I was a I, you know i mean the 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 stuff that I knew how to do right which I had spent a lot of time thinking about very strategically was how to write in different styles and how to how to edit and, and, um, you know, and I, and I thought, and well, we can talk, you know, we can talk more about this as its own kind of subject, but throughout every job that I've ever been at, I have been conscious of what opportunity is available to me. Like, what am I, um, what are, the, what's the job require me to do? So I edit this kind of stuff, write in this kind of way, whatever it is, you know, the basic tasks of the job and then be very aware of what don't I know how to do and how can I put myself into a position to learn that because if i don't learn that then i'm then again i'm uh, the only thing that i can do is move laterally so um mm-hmm. so i had i had throughout my career always always looked at what are the other things that i need to learn and this is like you know basic stuff okay so i learned reporting great now i need to know how to do like long form writing okay now i got long form writing now can i do long form editing nobody's asking me to do long form editing but i would really like to do that cuz otherwise i'm going to be stuck so got to figure out long form editing okay now i'm doing that oh now there's a video opportunity you know what i should get into video because I don't, like i just kept doing this and so um so I had definitely prepared myself skill set wise for the basics of the job. And then there were going to be all these intangibles, all these things that I just didn't know how to do. And I think that it's so important to, to just tell yourself, like, I just have, I don't know where it came from. I don't know how I learned it. Um, but I, but I, I guess I, I just recognized and then repeated it to myself over and over again that, um, you are not going to know how to do everything, but you have to have the confidence that you can get there and that you can bridge that gap without, um, without compromising yourself. Right. Because when you are put into a position where you don't know how to do something, if you are too afraid that you don't know how to do it, or if you are um, overwhelmed by your inability to do it, you will simply stop. You'll, you'll simply you won't move forward. You won't you won't accomplish. You, you'll paralyze yourself. And you can't do that, right? So that's I. I you can, I, I've always I think I've always walked myself through it by thinking you don't know how to do this, but you know that you can learn how to do this. So just take it one step at a time. Be really mindful of what's going on. Who can teach you? How can you learn? What are the experiences that you need? What can you find step by step by step? I mean, that's why I love your, your thought process here. Step by step by step, just make it through. And once you get through, you will know how to do this. And that's I've just done that over and over again in every job that I've been at. And you get used to it to the point where when you really have to do it on a big stage
0: like this job, you're ready. Today's sponsor is Babbel, the number one selling language learning app in the world. Number one selling. How cool is that? Now, I took French all throughout middle school and high school, and then two years of it in college. That's eight solid years of studies, eight years of my life spending learning grammar, learning vocab, learning conjugations. And then when I finally visited France for the first time, you know what I was able to say? Bonjour. Or this was a good one. Où est l'hôpital Now, thankfully, I never had to use that last one, which for those of you who uh, aren't as advanced in the French language as I am, clearly, that means where's the hospital. So thankfully, I did not have to use that last one, but I thought I should know it just in case. But that's pretty sad, right? Eight years, eight years of studies, and I could not do anything when I actually went. That's not going to happen to you because you're going to study with Babbel. And Babbel is the number one selling language learning app for a reason. My French teacher used to say that without being able to focus on speaking the language – we were always going to struggle. And that's why Babbel designed their programs to get you speaking as quickly as possible, to get you actually interacting with people and using the stuff you're learning so that you can figure out how to tie it together and see the patterns. Because it's always easier to learn it that way than to sit down and try and drill the vocab and drill the conjugations and drill the grammar and so on and so forth. It's always easier to have those interactions with people And to pull from what they're saying and figure out how to sort of navigate the conversation, even if you don't understand all of it. And the coolest thing about them is that each lesson is only 10 to 15 minutes. That's 10 to 15 minutes. You get to actually speak. You get to actually learn the language. And then when you go to France, you go to Paris, you don't have to look like a fool the way that I did. So... Go ahead and try Babbel for free. You can try it for free. Just go to Babbel.com or download the app and try it for free. You can find the app on the App Store, on either Google or Android, wherever you get your apps, I guess. So Babbel.com, that's B-A-B-B-E-L.com or download the app and try it for free. Highly recommended. So let's look at some of those uh, those jobs that led to this point. And if we, if we're looking at sort of your career as a whole, uh, each job representing sort of a separate leap in that journey Mm -hmm. to being ready for this stage, uh, you've identified, uh, just now, of course you need the base level skill. So you need to be a good journalist, right? That, that is without that, you're not even in consideration. Uh, beyond that, uh, the sort of extracurriculars you need, sort of this ability and willingness to learn new complementary skills all the time, yes. and just sort of be hungry to, to to identify those things, take them on, and, and push through and, and gain them. Uh, you need this sort of ability to pivot and learn uh, on the job, and and sort of face off that uncertainty and and willingness to to embrace it. Where do you think? If you had to identify uh, whether it be a specific moment or sort of a series of challenges that you faced throughout your career, where did the ability to deal with that come from? The, this willingness to learn new skills, but then also the ability to say to uncertainty, hey, you know what? You scare most people, but I know I can deal with you. Like, where does that come from?
1: Where does that come from? I, you know, I I often look back at the very first jobs that I had and this big risk or really two risks back to back that I took that I think are what enabled me to have the career that I have. And I see a lot of lessons in them, things that I did that at the time might have felt just sort of instinctual, but that I think were reacting to a particular moment and pushed me into a place where I had to make a decision and that I just learned so much from those early decisions. So let me tell you what those were. I started at the Gardner News, which was a 6,000 circulation daily newspaper in North Central Massachusetts covering nothing covering, like covering nothing. Like there's just nothing happening in Gardner, Massachusetts. Right. I, I was just bored out of my <laughs> mind. And, uh, like, it's like, you know, if you've ever been to a zoning board of appeals meeting, then I'm f- very sorry for you. Uh, I went to many, like, they're just deadly bored. Like that's the kind of stuff that I had to do. Don't go to a zoning board of appeals meeting. And so I, um, after a, after a year of this, I was, <sighs> I was, I was like sad for myself. I, I was, I knew, I knew that I could do more. What told me that? I just, I don't even know. I just, I just knew it. And I knew that sitting around at the Gardner News was never going to get me there. That like I, If I was, if I wanted to write for the New York Times, that literally zero people at the New York Times were ever picking up the Gardner News, reading a piece by Jason Pfeiffer and saying, oh, we got to get this guy on the phone. Like zero, zero people ever we'll be doing that. So if I want to accelerate my career and get to the place where I feel like I deserve to be, then I I need to make a change. And so I, I quit. I quit the paper and I sat in my bedroom in Holden, Massachusetts, in this dumpy apartment next to a graveyard, paying $250 a month in rent and looking out, you know, looking out upon my career, this graveyard. And Uh, And then I pitched, I cold pitched. I I didn't have any connections. I didn't know anybody. I had nobody to pitch, but I started coming up with stories and just emailing it to every editor that I could find an email address for. And after nine months of that, of mostly being ignored, occasionally being engaged, I got some big hits. I got a piece in the Washington Post. I got a piece in the Boston Globe, um, uh, Salon.com, which at the time was a kind of booming enterprise. And... And so I, um, I said, uh, well, this is wonderful, but also this is not paying the bills and I'm lonely as, as, as could be. And, but I've learned something important here, which is that I know how to freelance now and I've made some connections. So now it's time to up the game. Um, so I took, I took, I took another newspaper job, um, for the steady income, but I kept freelancing. So now I'm doing two jobs. Now I'm freelancing in the morning and at night. And then I'm also working at the newspaper during the day. And I do that for about three years. And, uh, during those three years, I developed a really good relationship with Boston magazine. And so, uh, after a, enough time of writing for Boston magazine, I saw some movement. And, uh, that was that there was a senior editor who had left. There was a junior editor who was moving up. And that meant that there was going to be a junior editor openings for- somebody they're going to hire somebody and it better be me. Like I, this is the moment, like this is it. This is the thing that I've positioned myself for, right? Like you don't just like hop into something, right? I mean, like I was too obscure. I, I, I was not connected. I was, didn't have the skill sets that we required. I was, I couldn't have expected to go from the Gardner news to Boston magazine, but I had now laid the groundwork. This was the move. And so I told the editor in chief of Boston magazine that I was ready to be hired. And then I quit my newspaper job and I moved to Boston and I got an expensive apartment in Boston and I waited to be hired. (laughs) And, um, thank God they hired me. <laughs> I don't know what would happen if they didn't. Oh my um, I don't know what would happen. Uh, I mean, they didn't immediately. So what, what he did is that he threw a couple, uh, more challenging freelance pieces at me. Cause I had been largely working on smaller stuff for them. And, uh, and I become like a go-to guy on smaller stuff for them. Like, you know, I, I, like whenever you needed me to show up, I was there. Like I never missed a deadline. I was full of ideas. Like if you needed, you know, if you needed me to jog down the street, I ran the hell down the street. Like that's, that's just how I, I did that for like two years for that magazine. And, um, and so they threw a couple other big tests at me functionally and then they hired me. And, um, and you know, so like, well, here, well, so to, to, answer your, now that you've now I've told you that story. Um, and, and that hire really was what set me on the path to where I am today. Because from, from there, uh, there was an editor I worked with at Boston Magazine who connected me with an editor that he actually was roommates with, um, who was at Men's Health. And then the guy at Men's Health hired me. And from Men's Health, I went to Fast Company, Fast Company to Maxim, from Maxim to Entrepreneur. And then, um, after being an entrepreneur originally as executive editor, I became editor in chief. So like literally those two risks very, very early on were the things that made my career. I am just convinced of it. And. What I learned during those times was like, one, um, nobody is ever coming to me with opportunity. I go to them. Like, that's, I learned that. Like, that's, I, I did it. Um, and I saw what happens and I decided to repeat that over and over again. And I don't think that I was thinking about that in that very first job. All I was really thinking was I'm miserable at this tiny little paper. I need a change and I, and I, and I just need a change and I'm going to take a risk. And you know what, if it doesn't work out, like the stakes were low at that time, right? I was paying $250 a month in rent. I could have figured it out. But I learned this really important thing that scales, right? That scales because that might have been a small risk. Now, I take those kinds of risks and they're big risks because we're talking about a lot more money and we're talking about a lot more like my 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 public place in the world is bigger, you know. And um and but it taught me nobody's coming for me. I have to go to them. And also, it taught me And this is so, so important. Do this in some small way, prove it to yourself, and then you'll have the ability to do it in bigger ways. Um, I had taught myself by quitting those jobs and putting myself into situations where I was just by my own sheer willpower and drawing upon whatever talent I had, I was going to make it work. And I did. And if you do that for yourself once, twice, three times, you will keep doing it. You'll have the you'll have the confidence to do it, right? I mean, like, there's no way that I would. Whatever the hell comes next after being editor in chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, and like, you know, let's be frank, there will be a next, right? I'm not going to have this job forever. Um, uh, I uh, and you know, not that I'm like ready to leave it. I love it, but but you know, you, you got to be honest. Um, I, it will involve some kind of risk and some kind of big leap, and I know that I'm prepared for that because I have I have done versions of it in smaller and then somewhat larger and somewhat larger and somewhat larger ways throughout my career. And each time it was scary. And then I landed on my feet and that meant that each time was a little less scary.
0: Absolutely. Love it. We had a guest on a few episodes, a woman named Mimi Hayes, who, uh, she, uh, she, I can't remember where she's originally from, but she suffered a brain injury and was out of commission for, for quite some time in recovery, so on and so forth. And she wrote a book on the experience, just sort of a memoir of everything that happened. Uh, she's a, she's super young. I think she's 25, 24, something like that. Um, so just sort of this, this perspective from a very young person dealing with something that doesn't typically happen to very young people. And, um, In her interview, she shared this story of sort of the moment she decided to pack up wherever she was from and move to New York City with absolutely no prospects, absolutely no idea what she was going to do. Um, But and, and this is the important piece, because both in Jason's story and Mimi's story, there's this theme of, hey, we took a big risk and risk and it worked out. But there's a reason it worked out It worked out because of that foundation, because they both took the time to sit down and figure out, well, who do I need to be in order to make the things happen that I want to happen? Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, case?
1: absolutely. There's a difference between a calculated risk and being crazy, <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah exactly. calculated risk and being crazy. And you don't want to be crazy, right? You, you, you know what? In fact, you know what the best kind of risk is? The best kind of risk is one that looks riskier to other people than it does to you. Because to them, it looks like you're going from, you know, it looks like you're just like making a leap into the unknown. You're going from A to Z. But you know that that's not the truth because you've you've laid the foundation. You have all of these skill sets available and you are, yes, you are taking some risk. Nothing is without risk, but you understand the pathway to success.
0: Absolutely. And, and that's what Jason did. That's what Mimi did. Uh, Mimi did move here and it ended up turning into her book deal. And now she's on tour and doing all of those incredible things that seem like, oh, wow, this was so lucky. But there was a lot of preparation, years of work required to make that possible. Uh, So Jason, tell me about Mr. Nice Guy.
1: Yeah. So let me set the, I will bridge Mr. Nice Guy with what we were just talking about before. So I, as I had said when I was explaining how I approached each job, I am very, very conscious of learning new things and making sure that I'm making the most of every opportunity available to me, especially the ones that are not obviously available to me, the ones that nobody's asking me to do. What's in front of you? What do you have access to? What what can you just do? And part of the reason for that is because I never, ever want to be caught flat footed. Like I don't want to know how to do one thing and then that thing gets taken away and then I got nothing. Right. Like I hear stories of people in, in my industry who came up as, let's say, movie reviewers and they had a great career as a movie reviewer. And they all they knew how to do was make uh, was write movie reviews. And now there's a not really a market for movie reviews anymore, or a significantly smaller movie. You know, like, there used to be that like every newspaper had its own movie reviewer. That is not the case anymore. And so then you, th- those people lose their jobs and they don't know how to do anything else. They just know how to do movie reviews. And that is not a good place to be. So I am consciously, consciously taking on new kinds of storytelling, new opportunities, teaching myself how to do uh, every little. Every little um, different expression of my core skill set, which is storytelling. So that goes into podcasts. I have some podcasts and that goes into fiction because I was very bad at fiction and I tried it when I was like a kid and I didn't know how to do it. And that's, I ended up in nonfiction and found a, found a knack for it. Um, but I always had an idea for a, for a book, for a novel. And it was, a, you know, it was, a, it was a sort of very, it was a goofy idea, right? So, so the premise is, um, the premise is what would happen if two people each week s- slept together and then critically reviewed each other's performance in a magazine, kind of like a movie review, actually, you know, it's like, <laughs> you, have, you have, you're like, you have sex and then you write about it, like you're re- like critically reviewing a movie. Uh, what would happen? Just what would, what would happen to those people? And. Uh, that was an idea that I, I just popped into my head in my twenties, and I tried to write it, and I failed, and I tried to write it again, and I failed, and eventually just kind of put the idea on the shelf. And then, wouldn't you know it? F- flash forward many a year, and I marry a novelist. My wife is a novelist. She's written she's written um, two prior novels, and she, when she sold her most recent novel, she asked me what I thought she should do next. And I said, well, why don't you write my book? Because I I told her about it. She had encouraged me to try writing it. Um, I was like, we both think that it's a funny idea. Uh, but I'm just, I'm never, I'm not going to be able to do this. Right. Which is really, I, I mean, it's sad and look back on it now. Right. It's like kind of sad actually that I had folded like that, that I didn't keep trying. Um, but, but at least I wanted it in the world. And she said, well, why don't we write it together? And that was a great idea. So we we embarked upon this project. Um, we we started to kind of the first thing that you do is you kind of think through the logic of it. Okay, well, who are these people? How do they get into this situation to begin with? Um, what what would propel it forward? What would happen? Um, we plotted out the entire novel together. Then we could parceled up roles and responsibilities. Um, Jen, who's my wife wrote them, wrote, uh, to be honest with you, the majority of the, of the noveling. Um, I wrote the columns that the characters write because, because all the columns that these two characters, uh, write of each other's, um, sexual experience, uh, are in the magazine and are in the book. And then I also wrote the, uh, some, I wrote some selected scenes and then we edited each other's work. And, um, and, and I got to say, when I think back on it now, the, 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 the great lesson of it is, um, is, a uh, right idea, wrong time. You know, like it was, it was, it turned out to be perfectly fine to have this great idea at the wrong time because I, I was able to hang on to it. I didn't give up on it. And I mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't grow frustrated. Like, ah, I don't know how to do this. This idea sucks. I'm, you know, it goes away. Instead, it just, it goes on the shelf for a while and, and it comes out when, when it's the right time. I mean, if I had like muscled through and tried, tried to wrote, write that book when I first came up with it, it would have been a crappy book. I'm sure there's no way I would have sold it. Instead, we we made Mr. Nice Guy and and uh, it's a real book. It comes out on St. Martin's Press on October 16th and it's really exciting. Like we've sold the TV rights. We've sold four foreign rights. We've got, we've wow. just got like an amazing amount of marketing and press lined up for it. Um, we, we got, I mean, this is like, can you ask for anything better than this? I got an email out of the blue a couple weeks ago, or maybe a couple months ago at this point from Kevin Kwan, who's the author of crazy rich Asians, like the author of crazy rich Asians who uh, our our agent, a full year prior had sent him like an early bound copy of our book. And it must've gone into some pile of his. I'm sure the guy gets 50 books a day. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I haven't actually, I haven't talked to him. Like I, I gotta get, I gotta get a beer with that guy. Um, for whatever reason, he pulled it out of his pile and he started reading it and he told me that he started, he didn't think that he would have time for this, but it so captivated him that he blew through it. He like missed deadlines. It totally screwed up his schedule, but he loved it. And I was like, oh my God, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Right. That's so exciting. And, um, and so of course we then asked Kevin if we could take part of his email and just slap it on the cover of our book. And he said, yes. And so that's what we did. And, uh, and, um, Again, none of that would have happened had I just thrown this idea away. If I said, "Well, you know, I don't know how to write it. This idea is garbage. Goodbye." Instead, I I held on to it and I found the right time for it. And now, now we have Mr. Nice Guy. And I and I'm just I'm so thrilled to to have um, found the other end of this journey.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I just, uh, as you were talking through that, I just pulled it up on Amazon and pre-ordered it myself. Nice. such a fantastic you, concept. Like I, I cannot wait for the, uh, the TV or rather the movie version of this, um, I'm oh, really curious to say who plays Lucas Callaghan. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: You know, it's funny. People always ask us uh, who we want to play these characters. And <laughs> the honest truth is that I'm so busy that one of the things, like, you know, when you get really busy, you just have to let go of things. Um, of course. And so I've, like, things I've let go of in particular are sports, which I I used to watch a lot of sports and pop culture. I just, I just don't know what's happening in the world anymore. Like, I don't know. I don't know who the hot actors are. I I just, I couldn't begin to cast this thing, but that is why there are people whose jobs are to cast. It's certainly not my job.
0: (laughs) That makes perfect sense. The, uh, the book is Mr. Nice Guy. It is out October 16th. And uh, Jason, where can we get it? Where's the best place and where can we connect with you?
1: So, good questions. Um, I mean, you can just get it on Amazon or anywhere you buy books. I mean, once October 16th hits, uh, it'll be in your local bookstore. It'll be on barnesandnoble.com, whatever it is that you use. If you happen to want to check out our website where we have a little bit more information about the book, you can go to Mr., which is M-R, not spelled out, M-R, Mr. Nice Guy novel.com And uh, if you'd like to get in touch with me, and please do a couple things. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Hey Pfeiffer, H E Y F E I F E R, and you can also check out my website JasonPfeiffer dot um, which has links to all sorts of other fun projects that I do, uh, and um, and <laughs> including, of course, the book
0: love that love that jason thank you so much for your time here thank you for everything we discussed i feel like i could i could keep going like there's so many threads that i wanted to pull on that unfortunately we just could not get done so hopefully we'll be able to get back get you back on in the future for a part two. Oh, absolutely uh, the book, let's do it the again book is absolutely absolutely the book is mr nice guy it's available october 16th wherever you get your books amazon barnes and noble uh any other third place. Um, and and you can find Jason on Instagram, on his, his website, or you can just check out Entrepreneur Magazine. He always writes these awesome letters in the front that I find extremely, extremely well done. So Jason, thank you again. And to you guys listening, thank you for your time. Thank you for spending it with us. It honestly means the world to me that after 205 episodes, there are still people willing to hear my voice. That is such an incredible, incredible entrepreneur. So, thank you so much. If you have not already, click subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your shows, just click subscribe there. It's the best way to make sure you never miss a new episode or a new fire interview like this one. And remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day.